Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment. But I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30-day free trial. That's 30 whole days you can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you. Make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, envelope, 30 days free. Get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. And not wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. a lot of these cliche things and one of them is don't bring your baggage in the room with you is like Mm -hmm. a big thing you hear as an up-and-coming actor and you leave your baggage at the door is the phrase and it's never worked for me it's always felt really fake to put on this sort of everything's fine i'm at a total zero at this audition i just don't buy it and i don't think people would buy it from me welcome to another episode of in the envelope the actors podcast i'm your host Backstage Senior Editor, Vinny Mancuso, and joining us today is Broadway's Beetlejuice himself, Alex Brightman. Now, if it's one thing Alex does know how to do, it's step into Broadway productions of beloved titles. Uh, He already had roles in Wicked, Big Fish, Matilda the Musical, and that was before his two Tony nominations, one for starring in Andrew Lloyd Webber's School of Rock as Dewey Finn, the role made famous in the film by Jack Black. And then, as mentioned, he has another Tony nomination to his name for playing none other than Beetlejuice. And yet, Alex is now kicking off a role that is arguably somehow under more scrutiny than all of those past roles combined. I'm talking about The Shark is Broken, a new play that takes a behind-the-scenes look at a little film called Jaws. You've probably heard of it. Uh, Not only is the play co-written by and starring Ian Shaw, Robert Shaw's son, uh, who also looks... (laughs) Alarmingly, like his father, uh, please go look that up. But Alex also has the task of playing Richard Dreyfus, uh, the only actor from the core Jaws trio who is still around to hypothetically come see himself played on Broadway. Uh, it's quite the task, quite the opportunity. And Alex was so generous here with offering a look into what he's been doing, how he's been preparing, and how he auditioned and all that to play Richard Dreyfus. 
and also just to offer up invaluable advice for anyone who wants to do theater, anyone who might be listening who dreams of Broadway, uh, or is just looking to find your acting process, whatever that might mean for you. Now, before we do get into all that, I must quickly mention that as of this recording, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. Uh, if you are an actor affected or just interested in what that might mean, there are resources on Backstage.com or you can go right to the source, SAG-AFTRA. Now, let's get into this wonderful, wonderful chat with a two-time Tony nominee. Here is Alex Brightman. Alex, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm candidly getting over a little bit of a cold. Oh no! Um, which is probably a, a once a year thing, and typically it only happens right when I'm about to open a show, which is what exactly what is happening right now in two days. I so. was gonna say uh, you have a show tonight, <laughs> correct? I do. I had a show last and night as well. Opening day is in two days. Um, yes. Not the best timing. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct on that count. Uh, so how yeah. how are you, um, you know, how do you sort of deal with the setbacks of <laughs> opening week? I do. I deal pretty well, actually. I mean, I think that I've done a lot of this kind of stuff and it's, you know, you can either totally fold to it and be the victim. Why, why is this happening to me? You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is so selfish and like nobody gets colds. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of stress and and you're working your ass off and you're not sleeping as much because you're thinking about the show so it's inevitable but i i have the facilities in place for the last number of 15 years of musicals that i've done to you know get my voice where it needs to be and be real with myself because if it turned out i couldn't do the show last night i wouldn't do it you know mm -hmm. i don't believe in sort of powering powering through to my detriment so i got myself there i'm good now and i think by thursday we'll be to tip top shape very nice. Well, yeah, I, I am always so interested to talk to people who do theater, who do Broadway, who do shows uh, eight eight times a week because you know I'm just I'm one of those people who, if I have a meeting later in the day, <laughs> I find it I find it very hard to do anything. And like right now, I'm talking to you. You know, we're doing an interview. We're gonna be talking for an hour, and you have to do a show tonight. Yeah. Um, how how has that sort of evolved for you over your career? You know, you have your day. And then you have a show later that week. You have a show tomorrow. You had a show yesterday. Yeah. How has that evolved for you over over your career? Can I tell you something? That's I've never gotten that question before. And that's very I've gotten a zillion questions, thankfully and <laughs> gratefully. But I've I don't think I've ever gotten a question like that or or just asked the way like I, that's a fascinating question. You're right. Um, it's taken me a long time actually to figure that out because I'm like you. I'm like if I yeah. have a show tonight, I wake up checking my voice am i going to be good when the show is you know 10 hours away it's you know, mm -hmm. it's not i don't even know who i am in 10 hours i don't even know if i'll still be here in 10 hours you know what i mean so that's the part that i think has started to creep in is like let's just take moment by moment how are we feeling right now what needs to be fixed now what can be fixed now and what you know let's be realistic is tonight gonna happen and so i'm a, the answer used to be it's gonna happen you know it had because it has to yeah um you know the show must go on kind of thing and i just as i get a little older and having you know the real true privilege of being able to have done hundreds and thousands of performances of shows i don't really see the show must go on the same anymore so i do consider like my health first and my you know mental health physical health all that stuff first you know, the show is important to me, but I want to be able to do future shows. So killing myself in one is not going to help with the others. And so I think it's about, for me, compartmentalizing is finding things to do in the day. 
I mean, I thought, you know, doing anything in the day would take away from the night thing. And that is the exact opposite, actually. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting to think about your show all day. Yeah, so really, yeah. it's much easier to go, I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to go watch a baseball game. I'm going to go to a Mets game. You know, like you, I have time. I go, I go see a day Mets game. I can do that as long as I'm not screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just trying to like fill your day like a quote unquote normal person who uses, a, you know, does a nine to five, doing those things throughout my day, not only distract me from the crazy thing I'm about to do at night, but it makes me miss it. Yeah. Because we do it eight times a week. You just said it. It's like we do it eight times a week. It has that real capacity to possibly get bored or by rote. And so it's been nice to discover like life hobbies and life things to do because it's fun. It's not even close to the energy I bring to the show and also makes me miss it. So it's kind of a nice combination of things I'm still discovering, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, you know, again, I have kind of never thought about it like that. You know, you, you I'm picturing, you know, you're just sort of sitting and thinking about the show when the show's not happening, <laughs> you know, in the, you're not, in the time. You're not wrong. Yeah. It's just now it's different locations in which I'm thinking about them. So maybe a, I'm thinking about it at a Target now <laughs> rather than in well, my bed twiddling my thumbs. Well, the story I heard that I that sort of sparked this thought in my head is that um, when you auditioned for The Shark is Broken, uh, which I cannot wait to talk about, you were doing spam a lot. Yes. Uh, and so you auditioned. <laughs> Um, you took the train <laughs> on a show day, yep. did your audition, came back and did a show. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? I, I, that, that, that is like what I was describing to the maximum, you know, like yeah. in, the, in between shows, you're doing something equally as important as the yes, show. Yes. Uh, it was a day in my head that will, you know, now that I got the, this is much easier to say now that I got the show is that what they will live in infamy in my head. <laughs> it will for sure live in infamy because it was one of those moments that had every reason to go wrong, you know, travel is travel. So I had a show that night, no matter what. So leaving a city is not always the most ideal thing in the world when you have a show that night. But I so desperately wanted to be considered for The Shark is Broken because I love the idea of the show. I think I could, you know, give Richard Dreyfuss a pretty good run for his money, you know, and and I think I have, I think I had at that point what it took. So I just wanted to be in front of these people Mm -hmm. by hook or by crook. And I was like, the only way this is going to happen is either I fly in, which is really crazy, or I take a train in at four in the morning, <laughs> get to New York. It's a four hour train, you know, so it's not, it's the distance is enough. Get there, do an audition, hop right back onto a train, come back, possibly take a 30 minute nap, do the show that night and call it a day, which is exactly what happened. Um, and it's the, I, it shows hopefully the ultimate love I have for this goddamn thing that we do that's so crazy and mm-hmm. ill-advised to do <laughs> as a profession. <laughs> um, but I think it was the right choice and it felt that way. It felt like this is a day I am so willing to sacrifice energy and time because it, I think it could end up being great. And boy, did that happen because I feel like I am could not be in a more right spot right now for my career with this play in particular. I, I've I've talked to actors who sort of you know they they advise you know if you're going to an audition to to sort of bring the day with you. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious you know you are taking a 4 a.m. train. I I assume this is a pretty stressful <laughs> a pretty stressful <laughs> thing, and you're going into this audition. The role of Richard Dreyfus, especially Richard Dreyfus, sort of yeah, yeah. um, is a little frazzled, a little sort of like you know I, I, I'm wondering. <laughs> a little. Yeah, a lot. Sort of like somebody coming off a 4 a.m. train from Washington to New York. I'm curious in what ways you've brought 
the day with you into auditions, you know, sort of using this audition as a, an example. Is that something you do often? Yeah, you know what it is. I was just talking about this earlier is that I, I this idea of, you know, the show must go on. There's a lot of these cliche things. And one of them is don't bring your baggage in the room with you is like mm-hmm. a big thing you hear as an up and coming actor. And you leave your baggage at the door is the phrase. And it's never worked for me. It's always felt really fake. It's always felt really phony to put on this sort of everything's fine. I'm at a total zero at this audition. Mm-hmm. I need to be free. I just don't buy it. And I don't think people would buy it from me. And so what I started doing was if I was a little nudgy in the morning or I went, remember went to an audition once where my fire alarm went off and I couldn't shower. And so I was disgusting and I, but I still went and I, they said, how's it going? And I said, I gotta be honest. I'm like out of my mind right now because <laughs> this happened and it just made the audition more personal and memorable for them. Not in any sort of acty kind of way. I'm not telling any actors listening to this to like come up with a story for your auditions, but I believe in bringing some of it in the room with you because that's what makes you, you. And so I imagine that the frazzled sort of Alex Brightman that walked in the the room that morning at New 42, New 42, whatever it was, um, one of the studios here in New York, couldn't have hurt. You know, I mean, they were able to see an actor, which Richard Dreyfus is and was, mm-hmm. at his weirdest and at, at his tiredest. And, you know, Dreyfus, you know, notably did drugs and was out of his mind and constantly, you know, bleary eyed and and... I think it all just kind of, whether I wanted it to or not, came out. And I think that they saw something in there that they could work with, you know, and that, you know, that I did well with the lines and things. But aside from that, I think they thought there was something in there that really could get developed. So, yeah, I do. I think it's, I, my opinion only, I think it's really smart to bring parts of you in the room with you and parts mm-hmm. of your day, because that's what you're going to be doing in rehearsal. You're not going to show up every day at rehearsal at a, at a, at a zero sum game every time. Someone's mom might have died. Your dog might have been run over by, you know what I mean? Like, and then you to be expected to walk into a room and go, hi, everyone, everything's, you know, yeah. that's crazy to me. Complete base level. Yeah. I just think that's like, to me, we, we, like weirdly worse. I think it did become like Stepford people. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I can't even remember who said this on this podcast, but it was somebody who was saying that they bring things in and they were sort of saying like, you know, if you do that, no matter what happens in the audition, you brought something real with you because it happened to you it was like half an hour ago you know if you spill your coffee on yourself that really happened bring that into the room because at least you know it's real (laughs) at least you know you did that and there you go you get a chance to see somebody in a situation that they dealt with and how they dealt with it either really jives with you or it doesn't and is that a person you want to work with and i think that there's risk to it but it's always worked for me in the way i wanted it to work it doesn't mean i've always gotten cast but Mm -hmm. it's always left the mark that i would hope it had absolutely so before we sort of, you know, get really deep into The Shark is Broken, I do want to sort of back up and talk about you just sort of as an actor and and, and how you got to this place. Um, where do you think you considered, you know, where and how you started to learn stagecraft? You know, when when it, when it be, when did you sort of transition from interest to doing it, learning it, and most importantly, absorbing what it meant? Yeah, great question. Boy, you you you're asking all the <laughs> so right far things. so good. <laughs> well, see, I, you know it's interesting because you, you get a lot of questions when you do shows, and it's just I'm always on the lookout for people that like you know like to do their job. Yeah, and yeah, it's I like mean, if this is your job and you like to do it, it's like why wouldn't you be asking the best questions? So I just appreciate you asking. I appreciate you um, saying that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that I mean I've been doing being a lunatic since I was like seven or eight years old <laughs> on my fireplace in California, dancing to you know Gloria Stefan and Mariah Carey and uh, Billy Ocean, but that doesn't count, right? Um, 
I mean, let me let me. It's, all, no, it's all in there. No one was paying me for that. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I think when I first started to kind of notice that this was more than a hobby, um, and more of something that was maybe going to be lifelong, at least in my bones, was when I was in community theater in San Jose, California, where I'm from, and my director. Um, whose name is Kevin Hauge, still there, the artistic director of this community theater, the Children's Musical Theater of San Jose, where I learned basically every keystone you know that I use to this day in theater. Uh, Kevin, my director for a lot of shows, sort of like helped me along in figuring out that maybe I'm a character actor. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I am best inhabiting things that are not myself. Um, and I enjoy kind of wearing a mask. I enjoy putting on things. I enjoy being an outside in person. And the way he taught me that stealthily, which I think was really cool, is he'd cast me as Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. And in the rehearsal process, you, know, you you rehearse in your street clothes, so you know, which is how you do everything. But he decided to bring me a sweater vest for the first day of rehearsal, and it was too s- small um, and made me wear it. And it was so small and constricting that I kept having to pull it down or pull it away or stretch it and started to get this quirk. So that when I got the real costume that actually fit, I would still kind of have these little unconscious mm-hmm. things that really colored me in. I was really like so excited about it. And now that's like all I look for. And when you, if and when you've seen the show already or you see, you know, Shark is Broken is the culmination of what I'm saying is in this character. It's all quirk. I mean, it's all, everything I am on that stage is something I really truly don't physically do in real life. So it is a full thought out quirk performance brought on by community theater. I mean, since I was 10. That that to me is, I mean, I, again, I, I think I feel like I'm saying this like every episode now, but we've done so many episodes of these things and I see something like this sort of a through line that I find so fascinating is that sort of like split mind thing where you're saying you have, you're, you're, you're performing quirks, which yes. innately are not something you think about, <laughs> think about sure. doing. Right. So it's this sort of like idea of like being in the moment and, and playing it truthfully but it's a planned thing. So I'm, I'm Let curious. me actually, I could I'll actually have a way, maybe a better way to explain what I'm saying actually Please. is that the quirks, the show that I'm doing night to night can be in the moment, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And I think what frees that up is that all of the sort of physical, you know, twitches or, you know, he has a bit of a um, cocaine yes. quirk, right? And like even a, you know, sort of a, a, you know, licking of the teeth or whatever, anything like that. I have now worked on so much and extracurricularly, not just in the room, just with myself and in a mirror, that that whole layer of things runs in the background like an app. Like it runs as like some sort of weather app in the background. So it's always running in certain fits and starts. I don't have to think about, oh, I'm going to do this now with my nose. It just, in the 90 minutes of the play, I'm able to be current and be making choices. And my hand, every once in a while, just kind of hits, hits, hits my face and does that. That's just because I've done so much work before to make that feel natural. So yeah, I think it's I think it's at least two things are going on. Mm-hmm. When when you say um, you know doing the work to to make that sort of a, an innate thing, what does that work look like? Is it is it repetition? Is it sort of like you know you learn the the lines and the things separate, and then you sort of combine them? What does that work look like for you? So that when by the time you get to the the show, it is such secondhand thing. It's a it's a lot of um, it's a lot of scheduling to be honest, because you don't get that homework from your director. That's not really what happens. They don't say, go home tonight and blank, blank, blank. You know, you usually give yourself homework. And for me, it's like, I literally put it into my calendar 
an hour and a half here, 90 minutes, 60 minutes, 30 minutes of just, I'm going to do these 30 pages. We're going to go through them. And the reason I'm going through them is for memorization. That's it. I'm not going to make choices. I'm not going to write down notes. I want to make sure I'm letter perfect. And each day has some sort of theme about that. And I bring it to rehearsal and see, work it out. But that kind of like getting consistency with quirks has to do with like, it's for me, it's sitting in front of a mirror mm -hmm. um, and losing myself kind of in a way of like just seeing what looks natural but heightened, what looks too crazy, what looks like, oh, this looks like he, he's never done cocaine and I've never done cocaine. I think it's important to say that. I also don't plan on doing it. I, I think I'm a little crazy enough. Uh, but I don't know how to do it. So you had to look people up and see what it was. And I've asked people that have, and is this, is this a thing? And they say subtler, the better, the, the, you know, all that kind of stuff that you just start to learn. And then each day you take it a step further. And then once you get the lines under your belt, then you can layer on something else. Once I knew that I had glasses in the show, I didn't step into the room without glasses because that's a different feeling. I don't wear glasses. So it's all that kind of stuff of like the more and faster I can get it into my system, the more I can live with it whenever I choose. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to choose, I think, is the thing. People can go home and leave their script at the theater and it's like, that to me doesn't work out. It doesn't, I, this is your job. So bring it home with you and you, you do stuff at home. You bring new ideas to rehearsal. You don't just, you don't just start doing things the minute you to punch in in this job. That's my theory. Mm -hmm. Are you sort of, you know, sort of taking this a step further. Are you, are you the, a kind of actor who's aware of what their process is? Are you someone who, who over the years have been like, oh, I'm adding this to my, to my toolkit or, or is it really depend on like the role, the show, the amount of time, does it depend on outside sources or do you, are you someone who is like, okay, at least I have this base quote unquote process. It's a good question. I think for musicals, I think I have a base process. I think because there is songs to learn and keys mm -hmm. to figure out and choreography to get right. That last one never goes well for me. Uh, I'm much more of a mover <laughs> than I am a dancer. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I think I have, like over the last decade and a half of doing musicals, I've kind of figured out what it means to like, what does the first week look like for me? What is the second week? I think I have that down. For a play, I, I you know, this is all very new for me because there's mm -hmm. no real net. I don't have a crutch. I can't do a bad job and then go, well, what about this song I learned? <laughs> so it's, I think for the play stuff, it's been a lot more exploratory for me. What I ended up doing was on vacation um, before I started rehearsals and every day for an hour, no matter what I was doing that day for an hour, would go through the script, read it down and then put it away, read it again, put it away. So by the time I got to rehearsals, the script was in me. So then I could have some sort of like get the director's feedback of what needs to start happening next. But if, if the very least, my goal is if we need to start on day one, I wanted the script to be in my head and in my heart a little bit. So we could start to play just in case we got some freedom to do so. And we did. So I'm glad mm -hmm. I did. It, it really does sound like it's, you know, a lot of scheduling. <laughs> it comes down to a lot of sort of segmenting into like, I want to be here at this point. I want to be here at this point. I think, I think the most successful people that I've known but I am including myself in this and from what I do, like, cause I just, you know, whatever, however you want to measure success, I've been nonstop working for 15 years professionally. And most of the people I talk to, including myself, that's a big part of it is not listening, not waiting for other people to tell you when to schedule and do your things. It's just like making this a full-time job for yourself in some ways of like continuing to keep checking in and doing diagnostic checks on what you need and obsessing 
I don't know. I think it is. I think the obsessives in this business are the ones that kind of see the fruit of it all. Yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, again, that's another through line. It's it's just the amount of um, not homework, but the amount of like sure. no, work fine. you bring to yourself is is such an important part of this as a job, because it's yeah. not all, you know, it's it's not it's not everything you see on stage. It's everything you see before you get to the stage. You understand the craziness of when you hear things like, oh, Janis Joplin, you know, you hear like all these crazy stories about these people that like had to find ways to come down from the craziness. And that's yeah. what it is. It's like the obsessiveness. That's why there are so many like nuts people in this business it's because <laughs> we love it and we're obsessed with it. But obsession can go in so many different ways. And there are ways you, you do have to find ways to calm down and decompress. And I think that's the the difference between people that really know how to do it and people that really lose themselves with it. Absolutely. So I do want to look real quick one more time back at something uh, sure. in your past, which I, if I'm not wrong, your first Broadway job um, was understudy in Glory Days, yeah, um, which closed after one performance. Certainly did. Um, I'm curious, you know, looking back from where you are now, you know, yeah. like from 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 then to where you are currently, what did that first Broadway job, which was again, you know, the one performance kind of thing, what did that teach you, and 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 how did you learn from like pivoting from that, from from getting after over that? It was the. I was the weirdest experience of my life in the greatest possible way, which was I was too young to know that I was hurt by it. I was like 19 or 20 years old when that happened. So I was over the moon that anyone wanted me to be in anything at that point. And so when we did, you know, we did a very short rehearsal process because it came from an out of town um, theater. And then we did a very short preview process, which is very few performances and then one regular performance. And then we closed. Um, what I learned was a couple things. One is that theater is so much more about the show that you're making. It's about the people that are in it. And I think that hopefully in a life of theater, it's long for you. So the way to make that longer is to make good relationships with people and have a good reputation of being encouraging and kind. And I learned just like the six guys that were in it and the two guys that wrote it, it was just this like love affair and had a good time. And we had no clue that it was going to close. Like there wasn't one of those, like there was no air of like, oh, well, we should, we should enjoy it now because we were just having a blast. Then we hit this brick wall. <laughs> um, and so there was, that's one. Number two, it taught me how to do a professional job. I got to watch from the inside, which is like very rare. You don't, you know, you don't do like shadowing in Broadway show rehearsals. You don't get a chance to learn what it is to do an eight show week or a professional day at work. And then also it, it really gave me, it really like set a fire, like set a fire under my ambition. I was like, well, that mm -hmm. was fun. I'd like to do that for a lot longer. Yeah. So how do I do that? And so it was just about like, I after that was over, that was my first Broadway show, I uh, credit. I probably did more open calls and in person auditions by my own volition than the people that were representing me at that mm -hmm. point because of how inspired I was to want to get back to work. So I think what I learned from that was to just. Go and get hungry, stay hungry, and and go do theater. And Broadway was never the goal after that. Broadway was never the goal, to be quite mm -hmm. honest. I just wanted to be on stage, and so the fact that I get to do it at this level is a huge bonus. But like, I'm well aware that this is not one of those careers that just continues to rise and rise and rise and rise. It, I have no um, no illusions about the idea that someday I may be applying at Shakespeare and Company to be a bookseller, and I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. I, that will continue to keep me hungry. So like, that's what I've learned early on, thankfully, is that this business is about being hungry. Absolutely. And so, you know, sort of fast forward to today uh, and the shark is broken. 
Yeah. Um, now, now I'm just like an old so-and-so. I don't care anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, now, now I don't really care. Yeah. Um, I, I was sort of watching some some old interviews of yours, and there's one I, I kind of had to chuckle at because it was you talking about Beetlejuice. Um, and, you know, somebody asked, you know, what are the what are the um, the pressure like? And you're like, oh, you know, it's it's of course it's high. It's Beetlejuice. Everybody knows Beetlejuice. How does that transfer over <laughs> to doing a show about Jaws, about a student? The about biggest, student? Blo- the biggest yeah. blockbuster in history. Yeah. How does that how does that <laughs> sentiment sort of transfer over to doing a show that I would say quite literally, at least everybody in America is aware of the title Jaws and what it means, no matter how yep. old, no matter how young. It's, yes. it's it's one of the most recognizable titles of all time. So where does that live in your head um, in addition to everything else that comes with being in a Broadway show? <laughs> I would be lying if I said that this one is the the one I've been the most aware of um, because of how ubiquitous Jaws is in the zeitgeist. It's like you can't turn your head in any city without seeing some shirt, hat, license plate. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a big deal. Um, and the added pressure for me is that I'm playing the one person who's still alive, yes. um, who has a chance to see it. And you know, so I just find that to be pressure is the right word, but it's not. A pressure that like terrifies me it's like really interesting and i'm always excited about doing new things so like this version of a new thing is like a very live wire like tightrope walking with somebody's child you know and it's been what this has done for me this one doing something that is people's babies there's like back tattoos of people you know have like jaws and big thigh tattoos of robert shaw it's crazy so what it required of me was like much more research to really get this right. Cause yes, it's an homage. I'm not him. So, and the idea is not for people to walk out going, it was a perfect impression. I mm-hmm. want them to like the show. I want them to like my performance, but it's a very specific human being. And so I've been doing a shitload of watching, studying, mimicking a lot of the mannerisms, um, too good a claim, I think. People have been telling me that I've been doing a good job, which is nice, and they're people I trust. So <laughs> I, people seem to be liking it, but I, it is that pressure of there is a bellwether here, right? There is a, a very, very big performance to compare it to. Um, so this was about research for me. It's the first time I've ever really done like research first, and and I'm, yeah, I'm curious, you know, because you're playing. Richard Dreyfus, the the person, you know, right. you're not, you're not, it's not, it's, it's not a, an adaptation of Jaws, you know, right. you're not, you're not playing the character. So I'm curious when you're doing this research, is it, is, is it just studying him, you know, in interviews? Is it, is it sort of like looking at what he was like, just <laughs> existing? It's, it's tough because you, you are playing the, the man, not the actor. Yeah. And he's an actor who had actorly quirks. Yes, that he, he did. wouldn't, that he wouldn't, <laughs> that he wouldn't do offset so much. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, when you're, getting into this research, which sounds like it was very extensive. Where did you start and where did that, where did it take you? I started with the Jaws log, which mm-hmm. was written by Carl Gottlieb. And it was the sort of amazing chronicle of the, basically what the show is based on this idea of like all the waiting, all of the trials, all of the tribulations that people went through filming this thing that may not have happened. There's a lot of Trifus in there, a lot of the feuding, a lot of, you know, how he wanted to get cast. A lot of when he called Steven Spielberg after saying no twice to the movie, but his actor imposter syndrome kicked in. He was like, okay, yes, I want the job, you know. So there's a lot of that. And then YouTube has been my real big friend because there's so many odd interviews from the 70s of him. One in particular is a long interview on a program called City Lights. And it is phenomenal. And it's essentially like the 30, 40 minutes or whatever, how long it is, 
I have based my performance around because you kind of get it all. And it's right, right around when Jaws was happening. So it's like the exact Richard Dreyfuss that I'm trying to sort of capture. And thankfully, um, he is a very mercurial person. <laughs> so, yes. you know, it, it would be very different if it was some sort of like, I'm playing a regular guy. Mm -hmm. But he was like notoriously this mercurial sort of bipolar uh, it, uh, actually bipolar, which is also what I have. And so there's something easy to tap into there and sympathize and empathize with. But there's so much great, wonderful footage of him doing what would be his quirks in real life and also the actor things that sometimes bleed that I didn't really starve for much. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I was kind of handed a lot and there's a lot of it. Um, the only thing I'm staying away from is anything after that because I don't care about that. And especially because when you see the play, this is about a Richard Dreyfus who desperately wants to be an Academy Award winner, and he is not at the time. Everything after that, he does the goodbye girl, and he's an Academy Award winner. It's a very different Richard Dreyfus. It's it's interesting to you know I I have to assume that when you're doing a show night after night, um, and and it, with, um, for any theatrical show, that there, there's moments in the performance that you know remain surprising, and they they you're surprising yourself. I'm curious how that feels when you are playing a real person that um exists and you can go watch them right now how how does it happen that you're still surprising yourself with what you're doing while playing somebody else i think i got really lucky to have been born and raised and nurtured with a lot of the similar quirks that richard <laughs> dreyfus already had um yeah i'm jewish and i'm you know classically I guess show busy Jewish, you know, the sort of the thing that everyone paints onto, you know, the uh -huh. sort of nebbishy kind of, you know, Dreyfusy kind of thing, which I have gotten. And if I don't, if I didn't have that, my, my mom and my grandmother certainly, you know, helped me out with that. Um, but it, we're not dissimilar, honestly. Like the engines that run both of us, I think, are pretty similar. So what surprises me truly at night is sometimes when I'm actually doing something that I think is more him. Mm -hmm. But honestly, if I'm really looking at myself, I'm like, that is a pretty genuine me moment, to be quite honest. And there's something pretty vulnerable and bracing about seeing the weirder, darker sides of yourself in someone who you may or may not resonate with, but have to accept nonetheless that that's who you are. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty drastic, uh, over not over the top, but very big panic attack that I go through in the show. A very lengthy, real panic attack. And... What surprises me about that one is how much it affects me after the show's over, um, mainly because I've done a lot of hard work in my own life to sort of like quell the bipolar anxiety with meds and therapy and things like that, and a lot of really hard work to get my brain wired in a better way than it has been in the last 10 years. And to deconstruct it on stage every night is its own weird thing that I'm still working out because it does in this moment, as we're recording this now, does take more out of me than I would hope. Mm -hmm. um, and it brings me to a really strange spot because it's vulnerable enough to cry on stage, but it is way more vulnerable to have a full out panic attack in front of 800 people a night, including two friends of yours on stage surrounding you. So that surprises me because I think I'm very good at putting on a character and taking it off, zipping it on, zipping it off. That one sticks with me. After midway through the week, I feel a little lower because of it. So I'm trying to figure my way out of it, but it's cool nonetheless. I mean, there's something interesting about it. So I'm not like it's not going to drive me into the ground, mm -hmm. but it it's is something. The, the deconstruction of it that's 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 sort of interesting. And I mean, I there there are things there are certain things that 
I think are hard to perform because of what they actually are in real life. And I think something like a panic attack, it's it doesn't look like what somebody would think it looks like. And it's very subtle. And it, it it's sort of different for everybody. Yeah. Um, and and to do it on stage in a way that's recognizable, I I, I can imagine the challenge. <laughs> well, and also because it doesn't, you know, it's it's a uh, it's not meant for laughs. Yeah. In a, in a comedy, like we're in the, we're seated in this comedy. I think this show's been surprising people a lot. For like, you know, you come for the comedy, but you're staying for like, oh, this is not all. This is not all a comedy. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is these darker moments. And so I think that it's been cool to watch people go from like laughing hysterically to understanding that this panic attack is not for comedic effect, that there's mm-hmm. a real thing going on right now. And this is how things are. And if you at any job, I'm an actor in this, in this show, but any job has this moment. So if you're a human being who's ever had a coworker or a person you've been, everybody can relate to this kind of stuff, which is why I think it's also very vulnerable. Absolutely. I, a lot of this show, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about this before, but a lot of this is different for you from what's come before. And that that's down to, you know, just the, it's very, it's, it's the table in the boat. It's very yeah. contained. How, how did you sort of meet that challenge of <laughs> doing less? I'm not 100% like, sure I have yet, but keep going. Uh, well, well, that's actually interesting. What are you, wh- what about it is most uh, is your sticking point sort of, you know, I compare it to something like Beetlejuice, which yeah. is a circus on stage. Yes. <laughs> um, this is very contained. So I'm curious, you know, what, what is, what is still the, the, let's say the, the hump to get over, uh, that you're, that you are still finding. It's, it's exact, it's kind of just what you mentioned is that I think that what I've done prior to the shark is broken. If you just look at it technically, just from mm-hmm. a bird's eye view, it was like spam a lot, Beetlejuice school of rock. And it's like, it's just three circuses big yeah huge and and meant to be big and and there's no such thing as too over the top and for this it's like it's big it's a play and it's a big personality but my big sticking point is not being broad you know and i think i'm doing a good job but it's really something to that i am actively keeping an eye on because it's just like doing television i did a season of television right before this i was on the last season of the blacklist and Every other time I saw myself in Video Village on playback, it was so clear how much of a stage actor I am and just having to flex that muscle to do less. It's a real muscle to flex. It's not a letting go. I think that's the difference I've learned is that doing TV doesn't mean letting go of what you're doing. It means you actually have to work harder and flex your muscles to do less. And so that's kind of over the course, I hope, over the course of this run, we'll get more and more routine. But for the moment, it is a very thoughtful... uh, energy taking thing to not just be myself, um, meaning myself on stage, what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess really what it is, is I'm bringing more of who I truly am into this because I'm much quieter, um, off stage than I am on stage a lot, you know, a different kind of quiet. And so it's been nice to sort of find this transition, but it is a muscle to flex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of, I, I was taught, I was interviewing Martin short recently and he he said something that i found really interesting was like on opening night you know first days of the play people say oh you did a great job we loved your performance and you're thinking like come three months from now you know come come when i've figured it out and that's that's something that i've always found really fascinating particularly about theater acting is you kind of feel like you got it and then the show ends (laughs) it's 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 very different from, from uh screen acting where it's like you get the takes you get, but with with act with with the theater, 
it almost feels like you're learning it the whole time. And then it's like, I think I really get it. (laughs) And then, then you're done. That's why doing Beetlejuice the second time, because we got to do Mm -hmm. it twice, right? We did it at the Winter Garden, the Marquee. That's a perfect example of what you're saying is that when I knew I was coming back to do it the second time, the second I stepped into the room, same script for the most part, uh, 10 billion new ideas. Yeah. Because all of a sudden this like dam that you'd built, you know, no more ideas, no more ideas for Beetlejuice. We're done with that. We're moving on got to explode and like this burst of like new ideas was incredible. When do you ever get to do that? So yeah, this exactly what you're saying is that like, I know that come whenever we close, I'm going to go, Oh, tomorrow I should have, no, it's not going to be a tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's always fun because you bring that kind of stuff into other shows. And, and I think it's good to leave a show with some regrets. I mm-hmm. think you shouldn't leave a show and go, yeah, boy, I've been done with that thing for a month and a half now. I, I would like to leave this show going, oh, I had another idea, you know? Yeah. Because then you're not, you know, like you said, you, you don't want to run out of ideas and then go another month. <laughs> go, yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do want to talk a bit about working alongside Ian Shaw, um, not only because of obviously this is a story about his father. Not only does he look exactly like his father, but a lot of this. Yeah, he does, play, doesn't it? It's uh, alarming. <laughs> <laughs> it's genuinely, genuinely alarming. There is a um, resemblance. But um, so much of this is about, you know, the sort of push-pull, the sort of bumping up against between Dreyfus and uh, Shaw. So I'm I'm curious, you know, while you're navigating the the sort of the not wordiness, but this is a, this is a very talky play and it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. a different kind of thing for you while you're navigating the logistics of it. How are you working with him to sort of get that that push-pull down in a in a realistic way? I, that's a, an, such a good question in a way that you didn't even realize you're asking it because of how warm Ian is. That's the problem. Yeah. It'd be much easier if he was an <laughs> he asshole. He was like Robert Shaw. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, and it's so funny because you know it's you just said about like that it's like Robert Shaw because he was like all you hear about Robert Shaw was that he was this sort of like monstrous whatever. But we've been hearing very personal stories. Last yeah. night, a person from Jaws, who was the one of the uh, a, a cast member of Jaws, came to see the show. And told Ian to his face, you know, your dad had to leave every other week to go to back home because they would America was taxing him because of the film stuff. But every time he would be back, he was the kindest man to me. And so just hearing these little stories, these little moments, it you remember that like show business blows these people out of proportion. Well, Ian is so nice and so warm. Um, and so, you know, he's so reverential of other actors and has made me feel so at home that it was almost to our detriment. <laughs> it was like hard <laughs> to be mad at him and hard for him to be mad at me. Uh, but once we gave each other permission uh, to, you know, be jerks to each other and try different things, um, then we really got to play because what I'm very good at, I think, is doing brand new things in the same style in a room. So if we do the scene once, and I'm supposed to annoy you in a certain way, I will. And then the second time we do it, I'm going to annoy you in a very different subversive way that you're not seeing coming anyway. So it's going to annoy you no matter what. And so I've been finding ways to just annoy the person. <laughs> I've been trying to find ways to like make to like take him off balance. And especially mm-hmm. since he's done the show 200 and something times, yeah. it's incredibly easy for me to catch him if he's thinking I'm going to go left and I kind of slide right. That catches him off balance and that makes it for such a fun sort of a back and forth but also the thing that we do to make it worth it because it can really tire you out to be mean to somebody for that long and and i get brutalized by him in the show i mean that's the thing is like i am the constant victim of this brutality in the show is that we give each other a hug before the show and after the show uh all three of us we each get a hug 
all of us, because it is three big egos on stage. And I think it's important to remember that we're not taking anything out on each other. We can take the day out on someone, but we're not taking it out on each other. And so far, so good. Um, but it's it's good to know that we have the trust, um, mainly because also he physically brutalizes me in the show. So we have to really be careful. He chokes me in the show. I get hit. I get thrown. And so it's an ultimate amount of trust. But Ian Shaw is... I don't know if I've ever worked, honestly, with the caliber of actors that I'm on stage with right now, just what they're doing. It's feels like I'm in fantasy camp, honestly, and I don't mean to like humble myself, but like it's it really does feel that way when I'm sitting there with the two of them. I'm like, I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm happy I'm here, but like, <laughs> man, this is like a master class like every single time I'm sitting with these guys. I mean, that's another part of this sort of uh, the split mind thing is in the moment <laughs> being like really and being like, wow, this is really impressive. I mean, like, I am on stage. I have to be in character. It's, I told it's... I I don't want to interrupt you, but I because I no, have to, I haven't told anybody this because I said it last night. I told my wife last night that I was sitting in the back of the stage because before I enter, I'm sitting behind the boat, and there's a scene going on, and there's this projection in front of me that the audience can see, but I'm behind the boat, I'm sitting there, just waiting to enter, and I did think to myself, 36 years old, and I remember one of my mantras when I was in college was I would love to have a Broadway credit by the time I'm 35 years old. And this is my seventh Broadway show. I've been nominated for two Tony Awards. And I'm sitting in the back there. I'm like choking up as I'm going to say this. And I was just sitting there thinking about nothing, entering, looking up and just going, it's so crazy to me that I used to go see Broadway shows <laughs> and wish and like, and like didn't even know who to pray to, to try to do this. And that the fact that I'm just sitting here in this show and in this time, it's just one of those like things that doesn't get, you talk about hunger. I mean, it just doesn't get old for me. And it just was such a cool feeling to sit there, especially because I have a cold right now. It was nice to sit there and go, man, whatever I have done, I think it's working out because this is so fucking cool. That That is one of the hardest things to do in uh, a career like this is to like take a moment. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Especially, you know, on, on, when you have a show tomorrow, the show the yeah, next yeah, day. Yeah, it's, right. it's, almost, it's almost impossible to just like for 10 seconds be like, whoa yeah <laughs> this, it's, this it's just not it doesn't ever get lost on me that much but it really doesn't get lost on me in moments like that it's just like it's too big there's three guys in the show mm -hmm. how many billions of people in the world three people have been given this opportunity three that's too crazy for me to not think about amazing um the, the one last sort of thought i have um or question i want to ask you about uh the shark is broken and this sort of really sort of wraps up the the thing i'm always fascinated with is doing the performance and being aware of something else are you i don't i don't know if it'll happen but are you prepared for the idea of doing this show in front of richard Dreyfus? <laughs> have you thought about that and how would you sort of navigate that the way you just asked that made me think like he's going to come over to my house and i'm going to do it for him that's what it just sounded like arms, I'm just gonna arms do the crossed show for him yeah. yeah well yes arms cross is a very big you must know his mo he's very <laughs> yeah or this it's more like that um uh yeah, I mean, the thoughts crossed my mind because he's alive. You know, it'd be really weird if like Roy Scheider came. You know, that'd be, <laughs> be super a little interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but you know, him and Spielberg, and and there's you know Lorraine Gary, who you know is, was in the movie, and there's a number of people who I would still love to come see it. I know they're all aware of it. Um, yeah, it's crossed my mind. It's I'm not necessarily one of those actors though that kind of gets that anxiety when a another actor's in the room. I don't know. I've never. Maybe I'm too ignorant to know that but it's, it's, it's never been to have, honestly like yeah it's... i guess it's never been a thing for me in general 
um, like celebrities being this sort of like untouchable thing. But also when I was in School of Rock and Beetlejuice, what I started to learn when celebrities would come back, you know, Jack, we had Jack Black, we had Paul Rudd, Katy Perry, you know, Paul Stanley from Kiss, like all these like weird, huge megastars, is that for that night, I'm the one doing the thing that they do. Mm -hmm. So, and we all do the same thing. We all perform, but that night, it's my, I'm working. So like, it's tangible. I think there's something like mutually very tangible about what we do for a living that makes me not look at them like they're on some Mount Olympus, uh, with respect, obviously. But so if any one of those guys came, I would be, I'm excited. I would really would love for them to come see it for, for many reasons. But one is that we are giving huge respect to something that they made a huge stamp on the world with. And so if anything, I'd like them to come to enjoy the show, but really for me, I would like to meet them and say like, thanks for giving me these shoes to put some laces on um, because it would thrill me. And also this has already been said like a month ago, but it's worth saying as many times as I can. I auditioned for Jurassic Park two or three. I can't remember when I was a kid, I sent in a tape, me in my backyard digging. It was supposed to be a kid and I didn't get it. And I want to ask Steven Spielberg, how come? Why? Why not me? <laughs> yeah, look at me. I mean, let me say, look, look at me now, Stephen. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you messed up, Stephen. Yeah. Spielberg. Now I you can't. It. Now you can't have me, and I'll never say that because, of course, he can. Absolutely. Well, we'll get that started here too. As okay. well. Get that out. Get that out into the world. <laughs> yes, please. Um. So as we sort of before we wrap up here, uh, I was I do want to do something that we call the backstage five. Uh, oh. Five. Five sort of general questions about your career, your life, your process, stuff like that. I'll uh, keep them start short. Starting with what performance should every actor see and why? Oh, what an excellent question. <laughs> well, if you can, there's a play called La Bette um, that starred Mark Rylance and David Hyde Pierce. And um, why am I forgetting her name? It's going to kill me. She was an absolutely fabulous ab fab. I, it, look up La Bette. Every single person, it's great. I just am having a hard time remembering uh, her name. And it was one of the coolest performances from Mark Rylance I have ever seen. And that's saying a lot because everything he does is perfection in my opinion. But David Hyde Pierce is like, in my opinion, one of the best stage actors ever. And so it was just this wild, big farcical, everything rhymed thing you could only experience in a theater. Yeah, I think there's that. And I would say on the, on the heels of that also, everyone should see Strange Loop in whatever town they can. Because again, Joanna Lumley. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Joanna Lumley. That's right. Who I love. And boy, is she good in it too. Um, and then that yeah, strange loop, just because I think that there are things you can see in a theater and only see in a theater are performances you should see. Mm -hmm. uh, question number two, what is, do you have any audition horror stories you can share? Yeah, I auditioned for Glee when it was originally coming out and in the middle of my audition, the casting director sneezed really loud. <laughs> and it's on tape. You know, this is like on tapes. So they're sending it to Hollywood. And I it totally took me out of the moment because I figured, well, clearly we're not gonna use that take. And he just, while he was wiping his nose, was like, like told me, <laughs> keep going. So either like it didn't matter or I definitely wasn't gonna get it. <laughs> so yeah. But I, I left going, well, there's, I mean, there's no way they're going to take this. Well, there's here. a sneeze in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's like, can we take it back from the sneeze? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that tape should exist somewhere. But yeah, that I was, uh, I knew at leaving the room that probably was not going to go my way. That, that absolutely counts. Um, <laughs> question number three, with all the roles that you've played in your career, what role do you think shaped you the most as an actor? 
this one. I think that the shark is broken. I, I called my um, agents and I called my wife in the same day on a lunch break. I don't remember what happened exactly, but I remember having a very strange feeling that I could only put into these words is that I've never felt more like an actor in my whole life than in this process. And so I felt listened to, I felt collaborated with, I felt like everything I had to say held weight. And I felt like everything, all the questions I was asking were not just to be heard, where they were actually things I was interested in knowing the answers to. I love that. Uh, question number four, what do the best theater directors you've worked with have in common? The best ones I've worked with have this following in common. They enjoy actors that don't ask for permission. They enjoy actors that make choices in a scene without saying, I'm going to make a choice this scene. So not to give them a target to hate, just let them let a joke surprise them. Um, they are willing to hear from everybody, not just the leads of the show and not just the ensemble in the show, but the understudies as well. They, they, they give everybody the same amount of latitude when it comes to conversation. Um, directors that are willing to be wrong. Oh yeah, that does work. You're right. Is a very rare thing to hear in a room when a director is supposed to be like the one you look to. Um, and kindness. I don't ever believe that discouragement gets the best performance out of somebody. I think it, it lives on the wrong street of where you're supposed to be. Discouragement and tough love sound similar, but they're not even close. Absolutely. And question number five, what is one mistake you've made in your career that you promised yourself you would never make again? Oh, okay. <laughs> Plenty of mistakes, but one, well, one I would say is I certainly did not save the money I should have been saving for the, since the beginning. If I saved the money I should have been saving from the very beginning, I would be a lot better off now. And I'd say that as a warning for every actor. It's just one of those careers that's not infinite. You might believe it might be, but it's it's uh, not. That's one. And then I think, um, oh, this is it. This will be a new answer that I've give. I've never given anybody actually because I've been talking about it a lot. Is I gave every I gave every bit of myself to everybody for about the last ten years. I gave everything to fans, to anyone that would stop me on the street, to a doorman, to a waiter, to my wife, to my family. I would always kind of put them on the same plane of like, I just want all of you to like me, and I'll do anything it would take to get you to like me. Because if you don't like me, I can't move on with my day. That killed me. And over the pandemic, I kind of slowly but surely realized that I need to get my priorities straight. And I think the way I messed up there is I made everybody a fan of mine. And your family's not supposed to be your fans. And your friends are not supposed to be your fans. And so I shouldn't treat them that way. And so I'm learning now still how to like really prioritize. And it sort of got me off social media. I don't really do the stage tour anymore because it really, it got to me um, and it hurt me. And it was me doing that. I kept going back to it like some drug. And it really got to me. I think I kind of had a bit of an overdose on it. And so that's something I never thought would happen. It's not something I'd ever told myself not to do, but it's really surprised me how much that was hurting me and how much it doesn't anymore. So that is a mistake I made, I think. That's fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard an answer to that question like that. I never thought I'd experience that, honestly. I mean, it's one of those things I'm still kind of working through, but uh, it's uh, it's been a nice, uh, very relieving process. The way it sound, feels like when they take an x-ray blanket off of you, a little, a little lighter. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Especially, uh, you know, on show day, two days before opening night. Uh, no problem. This was, this was wonderful. This was fascinating. Uh, and the shark is broken. I, it's, 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 it's as a, again, this is everybody, but as a gigantic Jaws fan, uh, this is something I'm so happy exists and I can't, I, I can't wait to see it.
Thank you. Everyone come see it. Golden Theater. We open August 10th. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.